0: for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meet pod. Bye. Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner Podcast where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll! (laughs) What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbro, and welcome to The Funeral of Pod, a spinoff of the Meet Me podcast where we talk about albums released on Ferret Records that were distributed by Roadrunner Records. Ferret, another very important label in the early 2000s, really established in that metalcore scene, and also kind of like a like a Miami retirement community for some Roadrunner bands, like Kamira and 36 Crazy Fists, who once they had done their time over at the Big Bird, they'd go down to South Beach, kick up their feet, get a tan, and put out an album on Ferret. Of course, Ferret label head Carl Severson was not only a member of the band Nora who were on Trustkill that was distributed by Roadrunner, but also a Roadrunner Records employee himself. So to kick things off, today we're talking about Women and Children Die First. Remembering Never's second full-length album on Ferret Records and in history. And it is a very interesting album for many reasons definitely the time and place that it comes out in which we of course talk about and more importantly that it is a big change for the band themselves on the previous album she looks so good in red former guitar player for the band pete kowalski becomes the vocalist for the band kind of halfway through the process so on women and children die first he's fully established as the vocalist as the songwriter And you can tell that there's a dramatic change in the sound and direction and just everything about the band from one album to the next. So I was excited to get to talk to The Mean Pete himself about how that went down and also his personal relationship with the Roadrunner Records catalog. You know, you were in other bands before remembering never that i and i know that you were in what you i think you use like rap metal as a catch-all term for anything that's like new metal right you call it rap metal definitely so when you say you were in a rap metal band beforehand was that actually like rap metal or was it just like something with like groovy rhythms like chaos ad stuff
1: um we were trying to be biohazard and slayer so i mean take what you will from that you know that, that was like our thing and like I, we were heavily influenced by like Sepultura and Run the Rotor and so. stuff, um, and you know everything that came out in '95 to '99. You know what I mean? Rap
0: metal stuff, everything. Was the Roadrunner catalog at that time something you were big on? I know you like you're a big Life of Agony fan, so were you all really, always kind of yeah. into that stuff?
1: I mean, that um, Headbangers Ball videos often for all that old stuff like Cyber Negative, Biohazard, Life of Agony. So I was just exposed to that stuff, you know, when, as it came out and you know, I'm a million years old. So, so seeing that stuff was just like, Oh, holy shit, what is going on here? Um, so Roadrunner was always like easily my favorite label to happen that couldn't really, when it came down to like, you know, fear factories and the, the bands we already mentioned. Um, I think, I don't remember like a release that came out that I was excited about that I was bummed on that I ended up being bummed on until Slipknot. And then I was like, okay, well, all right, I guess this is a thing now. Uh, I just remember listening to that record like twice and then being like, okay, I never, ever, ever need to listen to this again. And just didn't have like the pull, like um, all the old records did. Like when first time I heard Machine Head, dude, I almost fucking killed everybody I knew. (laughs) That's just like one of the craziest records to like burn my eyes. Like, and I mean, I'm a fan of every single one of their records, even the bad ones. But yeah, like. When when they when Slipknot happened and then, I don't need to follow this as closely as I did. I remember skipping church to go listen to Type of Negative, Bloody Kisses, often, and a couple other things here and there of the Kid Joe. I don't know
0: why. As ugly um, as they want to be, and of course Whitfield exactly. Crane went on to be yeah. the singer for Life of Agony.
1: Yes, I saw them. I saw him as the singer of Life of Agony twice. Warped Tour or not Warped Tour? Um, Ozfest, the, the the I don't know the one that he was on. And then I think they toured with Megadeth. And I don't remember, I remember it being not bad because you think it's going to be like real clownish. And then I saw him with, you know, one of my favorite fucking bands at the time. And I was like, okay, like this goes kind of like sick. He does a great job. It, it's not going to have the same feel because it's obviously it's not, um, you know, the original singer. But I actually still have, I, at, at the show at that uh, OzFest, they gave out like a pamphlet. Like talking about all the members of the band and stuff. I have that somewhere around. But it's really cute. Like a little just like a fucking life of agony brochure starring Whitfield Crane, you know?
0: That's actually sick. I want to bring that back. Remember when bands used to like hand out the lyric sheets before the shows? Like uh where I live they called it hardcore, but it was like I guess what people would call Screamo now, or like, you know, no it would be like bands like page ninety-nine and stuff like that, yeah. or Welcome to Plague Gear. They would give you a the- pamphlet with the lyrics
1: the only band that i think i because nobody really goes to south florida nobody went to south florida it's still a thing um was um the judas factor uh which is people from 108 but they had like a weird side band they did on rev for a few years and um ballads in blue china i think was the fulling title amazing record but they did it i remember something that always stuck with me i was real weirded out because i was a fucking child when it happened And to bring it back full circle, uh, our rap metal band from high school played that show. But he said something like, this song was about the warm feeling, um, something about heroin and how it feels like being dipped in a warm bath. And I was just like, oh shit, okay. This is
0: like, all right, next level shit. What was the name of the rap metal band? Hate. H-A-T-E? Just hate? No, (laughs) H-8. Now, H, like height, or H and the number eight?
1: The number eight. But okay. then we also did that because, you know, fuck it. We're little kids, so might as well.
0: And did you ever see Eric Andre's hardcore band?
1: Oh, yeah, we play with them all the time. Like, I have their demos, like two different demo sessions of theirs um, from Ill Minded Um Yeah, we play with them all the time. The guitar player from Remembering Never was in his band, Ill Minded Profit. Oh, we were like mad close to them. We used to like uh, go to like uh, bowling alleys and play like video games and shit and Boca. And, uh, you know, we just, that was like one of the main bands we played with that weren't from Broward County. They were from like, um, you know, 30 minutes north of us. You know, anytime we were playing with a band from out of town, it was most likely them or they were part of it or something. But I remember one time we played at the Boca Surf Shop uh, with Minor Profit and just middle of the set Eric Andre took all of his clothes off and then just kept playing the set. Like, he was just behind his base, just playing buck naked in front of, like, parents and stuff. You know what I mean? And this is when we were little. Like, we were in high school, so.
0: So he was always Eric Andre then?
1: Yeah. he was. You know, all those dudes were, like, mad weird in their own way. All very unique, special, different. I don't know. But they all had, like, something fucking crazy going on with them. Every single one of them.
0: <laughs> and so, it was uh, greece that was in uh both bands right remembering never and no, Prophet.
1: no um norm um greece did nothing he contributed nothing except for a touring guitar player and got himself into some real dumb shit is a no nothing person um that caused a lot of bullshit um which is the main reason we stopped being a band for all those years
0: Right, because uh, women and children die first, which is the album that's distributed by Roadrunner. That you know originally comes out on Ferret. It's kind of, I mean, the name Remembering Never releases several things, but that version of the band is really just that album. And God Save Us is that fair to say? Yeah, of course, definitely. Is there any release on Roadrunner that you think is like severely under underrated or overlooked or just not not well known that you think should get more attention?
1: Uh, one of the current guitar players from Remembering Never. Um, used to play in a band with a remember his original singer but he was like oh 36 crazy Fist. like he put i think he put it on one day and i was like dude this sounds just like your band like he used to be in a band um the two of them used to be in a band called my amends and um i was like dude this like this sounds just like justin as a singer singer i just carl cuz carl used to, um, from ferret used to work at roadrunner so he would always give me, like, promo CDs and stuff. He gave me that, I think. I never listened to it because it just looked rap metal as fuck. But that record's incredible, that first one. Um, and I didn't listen to it. I didn't hear it for the uh, up until literally two years ago. I loved Cold Chamber when I first... I saw Cold Chamber and Bloodlet play. Like, I guess they did a tour at some point. But yeah, I lost my shit. I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. This is, like, rap metal, but, like... It's, like, corn, but, like, different. Um, like, scary. Um... <laughs> And then the second record came out and I was like, this is not very good. And then the third record came out and I was like, okay, I'm back on board. I, I think they were trying to get to that next level. And that's fine. Like, you know, you got a branch on, I guess, but like they had Ozzy on that song and like, but it just like, the, it was too long. The record was definitely too long. There were some tracks, but there were a lot of like sleepers and then dark days came out and it was like, holy shit. Like these people are fucking pissed. And it's definitely, it was heavy as shit. That record is incredible. Like, poof Going back to most like the the bands that like were very important in my formative years, bands like Fear Factory, like Type Negative, like Type Negative was my favorite band when I was like a fucking child, up until probably they re- released Dead Again, and I was like, okay, this is not very good, but all the other records were incredible. But like Machine Head, I remember when the uh, the Burning Red came out, and me and my best friend, he got it, like the day it came out we listened to it in his car and it was, I was just like, what the fuck are we listening to right now? Like, cause it came right off, uh, the more things change. And like that insane, absolutely insane. And this had this, a very like tinny, very, I want to say like very thin sounding record. And they was like rapping on it and stuff. And I was like, all right, listen, like you're not in the Wu-Tang plan. You're not Q. We We don't need to rap. You know what I mean? But I hated the record. And then Supercharger, which was basically part two of that. I was like, okay, this is fine. I remember listening to that when we were actually recording Women and Children, um, funny enough, like at the studio when we were going on like little runs and stuff between uh, sessions. And then the one came after that where they had the new guitar player. And then I didn't really get on board full fledged until the blackening. And then went back, listened to all the other ones. And I was like, okay, this is incredible. I don't care. Like all these records are absolutely insane and uh, so machinehead's probably one of my favorite bands
0: the burning red is one of my favorite albums of all time by any band
1: all right all right machinehead can absolutely annihilate any cover they do better than the original band like name a cover they do they do it better than that band i and they do like there's like at least 10 to 15 cover songs that like they have recorded and every like the first time i heard battery I almost put my head through the fucking steering wheel. I was like, "Oh my god, this is insane!" I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they have like the authority to make tracks better than the originals, but they do it.
0: As an OG typo negative fan, is it weird for you that like all of a sudden they just became like the most popular band in the world to like like fairly recently?
1: (laughs) Kind of because listening to metal, especially weird metal while like hardcore was a thing uh, when I was a kid was very much not fucking cool. It's definitely strange. Cause I, I definitely like them. And I think life of agony, I think these two bands are definitely kind of a bands that you would have to be there to get it. But apparently not like fear factor, I think has a little uh, more um, longevity, uh, like longer lasting power uh, machine head. Certainly.
0: So Women and Children Die First, released by Ferret Records originally, headed up by Carl Severson, former Roadrunner Records employee and also guest vocalist on the first 36 Crazy Fist album. Comes out distributed a uh, Roadrunner worldwide, but uh, this is really like the first Remembering Never album that you're like fully integrated as the vocalist on versus She Looks So Good in Red, which came out before you kind of are, I feel like a signed vocalist and midway through. Our singer
1: quit, Justin, a dear friend of mine, and uh, he quit um, because he didn't think hardcore was going to do anything. It's like, oh, I'm just wasting my time. So he quit and we had like the whole record basically written. And I was like, okay well, what the fuck are we going to do? And we tried some people out or we tried to try some people out and they like didn't show up or um, it just wasn't very good. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I already sing in this other band. I guess I can do this. I put out a record that was mostly rushed, bad, not focused, um, played some shows, a lot of shows, and then got it back together, um, wrote a bunch of songs that uh, we actually ripped off on Brooklyn wings as much as possible um lyrically kind of like got it together um to kind of be a little bit more honest um a bit more focused a bit more um as kind of like a tribute to the things that attracted me to hardcore um when i first started going to shows and whatnot um and then kind of ran with
0: that now, with you being the guitarist and remembering never originally and then moving over to vocals, were you still writing guitar parts for the band when women and children those songs are being I, written?
1: I wrote nine out of the ten songs. Okay. Um, and I played on four of them, I think.
0: And you're also considered a producer on the on Women and Children Die First? I mean, I I, I absolutely was because
1: and anytime I do a recording, I'm there from the time we start hitting record to the time it it's over um for like every thing um and i have to have you know i'm a control freak to a fault and i'm okay with that that way if there's anyone to blame for something it's me
0: but jeremy staska is also there and i feel like he's just kind of like a florida guy uh seems like most of his work is done with other florida bands he produced uh tear from the red by poison the well Mm -hmm. and so can you tell me more about him other than he's just a guy from florida he was kind of like
1: at the time, the best dude in South Florida to do everything. Um, he was doing a culture. He was doing poison. the Well, he was doing warning again. I mean, I think we were just big fans of what we were, uh, you know, the things that we listened to in, in the bands we went to go see. Um, so we're like, okay, this only makes the most sense. We recorded our Rat metal band with them before that fun fact, uh, Roadrunner affiliates. We record uh, our old band, recorded our demo tape at a studio that was run by uh phil from malevolent creation and hey Palau, and uh the bass player's name was tim so we recorded five songs fast forward a year or two i found my high school riff on a malevolent creation album like wait what like bro i was fucking 16 when i wrote that you're gonna like really like take that shit. Um, it was on, uh, I think it was on it was on the yellow one. I think that was in Venoms. But it was like not a death metal part at all. It's like a boo doo or something. And it's just like, does not fit that. But yeah, so I went on my royalty check from that. He would just run until all hours of the night. And I remember like leaving there at like six o'clock in the morning after recording for you know, hours and hours and hours and hours. He was a fucking trooper for sure.
0: And he also does the early non-point recordings, pre-statements.
1: Yes. Actually, our our rap metal band's first show was at non-point. Yeah, I, I used to go to their shows all the time. They used to play with a band called Level Nine from here, uh, from South Florida, that sounded like uh, Rage Against the Machine, kind of. Um, that had members uh, that went on to be in Darwin's waiting room.
0: Going into writing... Women and Children Die First, like you said, you know, you kind of want to be a little bit more serious. The last song on the album, Serenading the Dead Horse, is almost like a diss song to She Looks So Good in Red. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I could see that. It's kind of like putting to bed. everything that we've done so far and kind of like mark a uh you know a new idea um mission um i think it was kind of important to do that just to kind of just just to like solidify that statement
0: but i always thought that that was uh interesting you kind of like wrote a diss song to yourself and put to bed like the form you know you you were coming in as the the new vision of the band, and you were just letting everyone know, like, hey, everything we did before is done, so don't, yeah. <laughs> don't worry um, about it anymore.
1: Funny enough, I think we're going to be re-recording a song from our first EP that Justin sang on. Um, we're going to be redoing one of those songs
0: for the new record. let suffocate my words to you?
1: Yeah.
0: Is he going to be a part of it? You're going to get Justin on
1: uh, I don't think so. I think he moved to like central Florida. It's just like mad MIA now. Um, I mean, he's absolutely invited, but I just don't know if he can, if he'll be able to like actually do it when time comes.
0: Now, are you still the vocalist of Until the End when you're doing Women and Children? Yeah. And so, how did you separate those two vocal and lyrical approaches? I mean, because some of the songs on Women and Children and even God Save Us, you know, they verge on that like, straight edge topic?
1: Um, I didn't write many lyrics for until the end. So it was easy. I I wrote like a handful of songs. Um, But uh, which was kind of the reason I stopped being in the band. Uh, I was fired because we had a whole record written. Actually, our guitar player was MIA at the time. So myself, the bass player and our drummer that was filling in was uh, we started writing a record. We had like eight songs done, nine songs done. And then made, like, shitty, like, boombox demo recording. We already had, like, studio time booked and everything. Um, everything was on, um, on like, track to, um, you know, because I was touring with them and ever. So I got a call from John, the guitar player. And he was like, hey, um, so we're recording this day. And I was like, I get back into town literally the day before that. He was like, all right, we'll find someone else to do it. And I was like, all right, man. Sick. See you later. Um, so I took my songs and those became Bishop songs. And most of Suicide Party was a bunch of Until the End songs that got rejected.
0: And this was the album that they released that was originally yeah. going to be called Kitty. So I forget what they, origi- what they ended up calling it, but the album they were originally going to call Kitty because Kitty put out an album called Until the End. That was like their big joke, but they took so long to finally release it, which is even funnier from the story you're telling me where they were in a rush to get it recorded that uh, nobody really got it anymore. So they changed it to whatever. Then this album, did you feel like it was you finally getting a chance to express ideas that you had wanted to do in until the end? No.
1: Um, I mean, everything was always kept pretty separate. Um, different intention on everything for the most part. I remember the lyrics on Suicide Party were dog shit because I was very much focused on trying to get the best r- lyrics for God Save Us and I wanted like Bishop to just be a fun, silly band. But that was kind of like intentionally done. In hindsight, I would have not done that, but.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you feel about Women and Children Die First now, reflecting back? I mean, at the time, it was a really big deal for you and the band. You know, you guys were getting way more attention than you ever got before. And you're going on these big tours touring with like 18 Visions and uh, a lot more eyes are on you at the time. In retrospect, do you not like the album as much as you did when it came out?
1: I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I think as artists, we try to like, pick ourselves apart so much i mean i don't think the record is good mostly because it's like the song if if i can go back and redo it now i would have shortened up most of those songs and made them you know if i think if they were if it was recorded a little bit better we also had no idea we were doing so gear. edit the songs to be a little shorter and more fun to play i definitely would love it but it's just there's just a lot of filler there's a lot of extra stuff that that kind of is the thing that bums me out I mean it's sick that people love the record, but I mean it's I think it's a time and place record for sure. I think it came out at exactly the time that it was able to strike a chord with people. And it was very much, you know, lyrically, um, which I never heard the end of it from fans or people that came to our shows and wanted to be upset about something, or people that are seeing other bands on the tour and wanted to talk to me about nonsense. And which is kind of strange because like there's nothing on that record that sticks out as anything like extreme you know it was just another day of ideas and another day of you know different beliefs put onto paper and put to music um so people really kind of like lost their minds about a lot of the topics on it and just the way it was presented i guess and um i don't still to this day i mean now the world um a lot of people especially you know in punk. You know, there's really nothing that's going to shock anyone. It's just weird that it even shocked people even nearly 20 years ago.
0: Do you think that maybe it was a combination of the lyrics and the songs and your aggressive presentation of them live, like with the uh, things that you would say before and after them, versus just the songs themselves?
1: I mean, I'm sure all that has to play. You know, um, it's the it's the perfect mixture, I guess. But even still, like people were very offended, you know, all the time about everything that i said and it's like have you never thought about any of these ideas like being vegan isn't like isn't this like really wild idea it's just not hurting animals like of and questioning the existence of god questioning your government how are these like things that you've never thought about i feel like if you belong to any subculture that has any type of political leaning. You have been exposed to something like this many, many times. But then, I mean, I met you know because people would be like, "Oh, the first thing I ever listened to was this," and then it was you guys. So it was like, "Oh, I've heard that a lot." So yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. It's just weird. But also, I I think I've always had very um, rigid values since I was you know uh, a kid, and then you know just as I got older, just kind of like picked the things and held them close that meant the most to me uh if anything's changed in my old age it's just i i feel justified in being like kind of right this whole time like <laughs> as shitty as that sounds like I, I was writing songs about problems that we still fucking have today like things that are very much a problem and it's like what this is what you were offended about things that like are still problems like nothing's changed
0: Yeah, because uh, even though maybe the band isn't at the time, you were vegan and straight edge at the time of the record. So like the songs that touch on both of those things, and the vegan part is actually more interesting than anything, just because fast forward to now in 2022, and veganism's like you know it's in the Mm -hmm. common vernacular. But uh, I know as well as you do, back in 04, like (laughs) we you couldn't go to Walmart and grab a thing of almond milk or whatever. (laughs) That wasn't that wasn't part of it. No,
1: it was like Taco Bell, fucking three times a day almost. Um, If you were in the middle of nowhere. If you went to like a big city, red bamboo was a thing. So, like, sick native foods, I think, was a thing in California. Little things here and there at a grocery store. If you go to like the hippie spot that smelled like grass, now the accessibility now is just like, holy shit. Like, anyone that says, oh yeah, Venus is too hard, I can never get out of my face.
0: Well, one song on the album that I think is, uh, it had a, a unique approach to it lyrically versus I'm not that all of them aren't unique, but I'd heard other songs that said, God isn't real. And I heard other songs that were about veganism and about straight edge, but incisions, which was of course the single, you know, kind of talking oh. about, I don't know if it, if I interpreted it hundred percent correctly, but it seemed like it was, you know, talking about kind of body image. It seemed more focused on probably more. So things that, uh, that women, had to go through as far as like uh, a bulimic kind of thing not that men can't be bulimic mm-hmm. but you know we really had at that time it was a lot more poignant in that and I thought that was really interesting and cool to uh, you know that wasn't the song that you did hear there weren't a dozen of those available for yeah. you know, anti-bulimia songs by a male
1: um, funny enough I've ripped that idea off song subject matter from morning again um dictation of beauty it's basically the same fucking song written totally different but um yeah just the idea that like you have to live up to these weird standards like for what you can't like expect everyone to look a certain way and um, you shouldn't want to even live up to someone else's standards because like fuck them i think i'll you know throughout our lives we spend too much time trying to change ourselves to appease other people or um, to gain something and it's like all right. I mean you spent so much time doing this and you missed out on like living life like just do the thing man fucking go
0: Was Incisions one of the first songs that you wrote for the album?
1: Um, I want to say yes because I remember writing the chorus uh, as one of the first things I wrote um, after we were done with She Looks So Good in Red and I still remember playing it because Uncle Devin was playing it And I was like, oh, that's wrong. And I was like, I mean, it's right because you're playing it and it sounds right. But when I played it and wrote it and recorded it, I was on like the 12th fret. And he was like, oh, crazy. And I was like, yeah, I don't remember all the chords, but I remember being on the 12th fret and just making it noises. But yeah, I think that was the first song we wrote for the record. Or at least fleshed out.
0: I just remember She Looks So Good in Red was going to be called Incisions or Incisions of the Heart, something like that. So I didn't know if there was any sort of connection to, to that. If you were like, even had those ideas back when you were first even getting the, the reins.
1: I try, to, I try to keep everything a little bit related. Um, so there's like weird little things that I'll make mention of in different records um, from different bands that I've recorded with.
0: I mentioned earlier, you know, going to that tour with the uh, 18 Visions, Emery and Misery Signals. I feel like at the time, and I know since then, you're a big fan of Emery, but I think at the time you did not like Emery.
1: Um, I think I just, I didn't listen to them before the tour, and I heard they were like, oh, the Christian band that's going to be on the tour. And I was like, oh, good. I can't wait for this. Because we, you know, no matter what, Christians for some reason gravitate towards me and always have and always want to talk to me about bullshit. It's like, why are you talking to me about things that you don't even know that much of? Like, why do I know more about your religion than you do? Stop this. And I've had like, conversations with people. Bishop played a uh a show with this band called conveyor i think and like their merch guy was like this weird dude who just wanted to keep like talking about christianity to me and we we were out there for like four hours and he was like oh i didn't know that i didn't know that like bro not one book was written even slightly while jesus was alive so let's let's you know and he was his mind was blown it was like dude why do you know not why do you not know this stuff
0: Either way, do you think it's because you constantly talk about how God's not real that Christians want to talk to you about how He is? Maybe it's a little yin and yang there.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it, but like, I don't go, I don't like go out of my way to look or seem approachable because I don't necessarily like talking to people. Um, so with that little bit of information, like, if someone already isn't a fan, why are you going to try to fucking poke the bear? You know what I mean? Um, but going back to Emery. I remember the tour the first night I saw them, I was like, Holy fucking shit. How is this band so good? So tight, all the harmonies, all the melodies, their guitar playing, everything is like seamless. Um, and like during the tour, they were just like the nicest fucking people in the world. Never. I mean, yeah, we talked about like certain things here and there, but you know, as far as like faith stuff goes, but super respectful, they never pushed any boundaries. We never pushed any boundaries. Um, And, you know, it's not just because it is a thing doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be talked about. Emery was very much the fucking nicest people and the best band. And I just followed them after that because they were incredible. And all their records are insane.
0: Would you say that For the Love of Fiction is the most popular Remembering Never song? The song you're most known for? No,
1: I think um, White Devil or Incisions probably
0: you think those get a bigger reaction at live shows definitely. with for the love of fiction being uh definitely still an al- uh, a song from this album that you still play questioning as you put it of religion mm-hmm. are you like psyched that like now not believing in god is like super sick it's almost like veganism like all these things you were into are like so popular now like we got black craft yeah. cult we got uh oh, the impossible whopper i mean you're like the the yeah. you know the OG. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, I've always been into the shit that I'm into. Um, and if people catch on sick, it's cool that it's everything, all these ideas are more widely accepted. So it makes my life a little bit easier and filled with less bullshit. But yeah, I mean, I was, if it wasn't popular still, and I was still living in the world I was in, you know, 20 years ago, I would still be the same. If I did it then, I could definitely do it now. And more so now than before. But going back to Blackcraft cult, I don't, do you, are you privy to... Some weird stuff that
0: happened a few years ago? No, not at all. I was just using that as an example of like, God isn't real. Isn't that sick? Let's buy a long sleep t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. So um, people
1: were like tagging us on Instagram um, on some shirt that they made and just like, Oh, this is Rotary. Never. You stole this off of them or are you work? Is this a collaboration? And the back of the line or the back of the shirt was a line from Con Artists, I think. Get off your knees, your faith is dead. 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 And they were like, oh no, that's from a movie. And I was like, okay, let me, I mean, I know I wrote that line, but like maybe it's possible that it's something else. It's not a very unique line or two lines. Um, Let's check it out. Do some Googling. The only two things that pop up are that shirt and that song. That's it. <laughs> uh, and it was just like, dude, come on! Like, how are you gonna fucking like? I don't care that you bit the shit like sick. Like it's 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 a kind tribute, but don't deny where you got it from because that's shitty. Like it's like you, those aren't your original ideas. You may feel the same way, but I know those dudes like run in hardcore circles. So like, there's no way you didn't rip that off. And like I said, it's fine. But all you had to do was say, hey, this was inspired by
0: whatever. Well, funnier to me is that they're like, no, we ripped it off, but from something else. Like, why wouldn't they just yeah, say, like, <laughs> come on, dude. like,
1: what's the movie then you played?
0: No, we didn't um. copy a song. We copied a movie like, okay, well then you must think it's okay. And I'm pretty sure it is. Like you said, I mean, it's not like you're going to take legal action. You can't really do a whole lot. It's not like yeah. you invented any of those words um or that it would be impossible for somebody else to come up with that line but it is funny that they couldn't just be like yeah dude you want a shirt like <laughs> like, I, like i
1: super don't care like it's fine but like as soon as you deny it then that shit gets weird and now it's like i don't respect you and now i think you're a fucking clown show for some reason people love to bite us about weird shit when they thought we were dead um not to beat a dead horse no pun intended Uh, But that Let Live situation.
0: Oh, yeah. So for people that don't know, so Let Live was a band from Southern California fronted by Jason Allen Butler, who's currently the vocalist of Fever 333 on Roadrunner Records and a couple other projects, I believe. And uh, Let Live put out an album called The Blackest Beautiful. And on the cover of The Blackest Beautiful is a person's face covered in the American flag, and they're looking like they're getting set up for execution. And the cover for Remembering Never's album, Women and Children Die First. Is a person, kind of in grayscale, with an American flag covering their face, <laughs> set up for execution. So, uh, very similar.
1: Um, the singer of the band, I guess, went on record. a uh, guitar player from Remember Never, Uncle Devin, saw him and was like, "Oh, I, we had no idea.
0: We had no idea, man." And it's like, okay, first off,
1: I don't believe you, because they also ran with hardcore in you know hardcore circles back then.
0: Yeah, their uh, their manager was Brandon Chapetti of Bleeding Through Fame. I tried to like that first Let Live album, but um.
1: It's just like, okay, I I just put on glass jar. Mm -hmm. But, and it's like, oh, the the photographer that took the picture of their album cover used to come to our shows all the time in, like, Virginia. So it's like, it's undeniable. Like, why are we doing this? Like, that shit's corny. Like, you want to rip it off? Rip it off. Don't rip it off. That's weird. That's an album cover versus an album cover. It's not just, like, a line you use for something. Like, like, get your own idea. But, yeah, so that, that definitely was a little sticky. But we, RN ran a shirt that had, like, their album cover that had like our name and their logo with our skull over it. And then I'm in the middle of designing their the uh cover of their first album for a t shirt also. That's,
0: That's really funny. funny. I didn't yeah. know you made a a let live spoof shirt.
1: Yep. Cause fuck them. why not? Even though it's us ripping our own shit off, kind of, you know.
0: Now uh Asterisk Studios, they did the uh album artwork and layout and everything. I don't know if they took the picture of you, but I believe so, yeah. That is the members of Demon Hunter, I believe, the Clark brothers,
1: formerly a uh, focal point. And I think someone was in training for Utopia.
0: How did that concept come together? Did you present that to them or did they present it to you? Like, how does that equal women and children die first to you?
1: Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, yeah, man, I had this crazy elaborate idea. I don't I think I had the, the general concept, not anything, you know, not like the blood splatter in the back or nothing like that. I think I had a general idea, send the lyrics, and they took off with it after that i think i remember seeing it and been like yo we're gonna get in trouble for sure with this but like fuck it fired off and like there's a big sticker on the front and now it's all willy-nilly there's no rules anymore but 2004 it was like we had many rules
0: women and children die first i assume is an allusion to the line that women and children are last right
1: um no actually that was supposed to be um the title of Slayer's south of heaven record (laughs) is that true (laughs) They couldn't call it that. I guess the label was like, yeah, no, you can't do that. So we're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're using it. That's pretty much, that's the only reason that's the title. Every aside from the first one, but every other one since the one with Justin singing has been a little nod to very important bands
0: to me. God save us. Of course, being a reference to El Nino from roadrunner records. I don't even know what you're talking about.
1: All I do know about El Nino is that guy has a backpack. It's like, what do you need on stage? That you can't just like leave somewhere
0: else. You know what's in the backpack, right? What's in the backpack? Riffs. First of all, you've never heard the song God Save Us by El Nino? No. That's true? You've never heard it? No one's ever presented it to you?
1: No. Not once. But no, God Save Us is actually a disembodied reference. God save us! Save us! God save us! So thick.
0: And then what's uh, this hell is home? Alkaline trio. Was it during this album cycle that the lit incident takes place? Yes, I believe so. And can you tell me what happened with you and Jeremy Popoff and his brother?
1: Oh, I don't even know how like we got involved really, but we were on that Most Precious Blood Tour, FEDA Tour, Dead to Fall and it dies today. And um, a couple are like when you have like tour passes, you can kind of just like go places. But there a lit show was happening in the same plaza at a different venue. So um a couple of our dudes went over there and I guess they were just talking shit, of, like they found out it was like a Pita 2 sponsored tour, and they were like, oh, there's some vegetarians next door playing, and they probably go to church and they don't do drugs and blah, blah, blah. And all this like dumb shit. So they're just like poking fun and uh just like being like boneheads. And um, so someone from a band we were on tour with had some spray paint so we spray painted their trailer someone from one of the bands we were on tour with had a knife and carved some shit in the back of their bus and then they it was like when websites were like mad new also so they like on their they found out it was us and they put this whole thing about how we're pieces of shit and we're going to get beat up everywhere we go and this and that and the other thing and then like i guess they were getting hate mail from like just like hardcore kids people that weren't even like fans of ours and they were just like getting shit on by They're like, yeah, don't ever come to my city or we're going to fucking beat the shit out of you. And they've got emails like constantly about just people talking shit to them because they were just talking shit about hardcore basically uh, in general. So yeah, it was pretty sick. Like I'm
0: not going to lie. Um, <laughs> Did you spray paint anything cool? Like Peter rules or go veg or what?
1: I don't even remember. It was so long ago. It was just a big mess all over their trailer. Uh, but fast forward uh, a year, roughly a year or so after that, they played at a, a local venue down south called the culture room in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, me and our drummer Danny at the time were driving by. We we're like, Oh, fuck it. Let's just, let's pop in. See what we got. Um, cause we were friends with the owner cause our old high school band played there often back in the day. So going to his office and he's like, Oh, what's going on? And, uh, he was like, Oh, this is the guys. these uh, he said, Oh, this is lit's tour manager. And we were like, Oh yeah, no, definitely. I figured that. And he was like, And he's like, oh, this is the guy's from Remembering Never. And the look on this guy's face, he was just like, (sighs) he's like, listen, man, I'm sorry about all that stuff. Like, you know, these guys don't know about hardcore. They don't really know about the culture. And, you know, Um, I was like, it's fine. Water under the bridge, bro. And then like a couple minutes later, he was like, yo, the guys want to know if you want to come on the bus. That ain't us. Like, we're not impressed by like, oh, you have a fucking tour bus congratulations not a good thing especially if you were like being a fucking idiot then and now you're like remorseful about being an idiot I don't want to go up there so you can be like oh hey I'm sorry that I was an idiot like you're still an idiot I'm sure um, now you just got caught uh, and people wanted to kill you because of it so I'm fine without that you know what I mean so that was it it was, it was just funny seeing the look on this guy's face when he found out who we were
0: I'm surprised he remembers like the name and everything but I guess you're saying it was like a daily onslaught yeah you
1: know? apparently it was a big deal for him.
0: Well, you mentioned that, you know, as far as things that you would do differently with the album, you would kind of shorten the songs. And I can see that. There's a lot of songs that, like, you know, that uh, make the breakdown halftime and do it again thing kind of gets a little repetitive near the the tail end of the tracks. But what is something that's your favorite thing about Women and Children Die First or that you really like about it, even more than God Save Us?
1: Um, Probably probably that, like, bridge part for, for Little Fiction. With like the singing and all the hits and the yelling and all that. That's probably my favorite part.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of the singing, which of course uh, you do throughout the album, there is like a a additional singing vocal on Incisions. Who is that? Mm -hmm.
1: That was a friend of Norm's, but she was like a trained like violin player or something. Great voice. Um, So now we try to have David Paul do that when we play live, but we haven't got it down yet. But working on it. I'm, I'm super down to try almost anything. Um, one time Zeus wanted to, wanted me to whisper on a track and I was like, I'm not whispering. He got mad at me,
0: but whatever. He got mad at you because you wouldn't whisper despite your rap metal roots.
1: Yeah. I just, I couldn't do it. I didn't have it in me to whisper. I was like, I little, little sounds just isn't coming out. I'm sorry.
0: And he was mad. But I think I'm mad at you too. Retroactively. Sorry.
1: If I can go back in time, fix that. That's what I would do.
0: <laughs> and then of course, uh, who I thought was Dan from Zayo for years, but Alan Landsman is on mm-hmm. Serenading the Dead Horse, formerly yeah. of Poison the Well fame.
1: Target, Nevada.
0: He sang on in a band
1: called Target, Nevada, uh, which was on Surprise Attack Records out of Erie. Oh, he sang Until the End with me for the first EP. Target, Nevada also features Alex Leone, who used to play. He played bass in Remembering Never when we first started, and he played guitar when we got back together. Um, and then we just never end up working together. Talking about it is easily top five bands that ever come out of South Florida for sure. give me all five. Shit, that's so difficult. Burn of a Lomen for sure. morning again. talking about it. Well, we just can't what just can in? was that 4 I'm gonna say shy. you cannot include them, you know what I mean? like you, you know you're gonna try and find a, a fucking a first song you ever heard from a band that was fucking harder than hardly. nah bro, any habit of. <laughs> You know what I mean not fucking happening. Yeah, i would say that's that's probably top five. And none of them they don't really sound like Bird of Lum and W Wishes them sound a little bit similar, slightly. Uh but the other ones don't really sound alike at all.
0: You currently do ether coven, formerly known as Ether. Yeah. Is there anything that you learned or take from the experience of making women and children die first that uh inform kind of how the, the ether process goes?
1: Um not really. Um, it's a totally different animal altogether. Like when we first started, we were trying to do like a neurosis type thing, crowbar kind of, uh, which is very much far removed from, uh, Remory Never. So, I mean, I think it's just, uh, I think going into ether, the big thing I learned from Remory Never that I brought over is not wasting time with people that don't want to be there or that you don't get along with. If I had known that, while Remember Never was a band in our heyday, uh, it would have been a much different situation moving forward. So, for Ether, I definitely if there's any loose ends and it's not working out, it ain't working out. Like, don't try to force something, you know, because we're just good, both going to be resentful about the situation. Um, I was very, I'm very resentful about a lot of time spent with memory Never uh, because of one person in particular that we already mentioned, um, and like, I feel like you know not to say it's like shit all over the whole memory and the experience but like it definitely tarnished much of it because it was like you know remember never was like my fucking baby from the first time we started you know what i mean it's just having people around that were not in it for the right reasons is definitely not a good thing so but with ether i think right now we have the best team that we ever had danny played drums danny from remember never played drums on our first two albums because we started the band together and um he just couldn't tour so then we got justin and justin is a great drummer he's been on the last two records we have a new record coming out hopefully the end of summer we recorded a bricktop studio in uh chicago where like harm's way recorded uh jesus peace foundation axis it's a little different shorter songs more aggressive also more sad somehow we have some ridiculous guest spots all bets are off. So I was like, fuck it. I'm making up for lost time. Everybody's on this record. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm pretty
0: excited for that to pop out. But also a new Remembering Never album is coming out. So the two are still coexisting. They're still two different parts of your creative brain.
1: Yeah, we're right in the writing process. We've been in the writing process and now we're back at it. So we have probably like four or five songs.
0: Well, how do you decide what song is for what band? Funny enough, we swapped songs. Ether and Remembering
1: Never swapped songs. Oh, Remembering Never had a song. And the dudes were like, oh, this sounds just like Ether. Well, I, I was like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know how to. It's just, I wrote it. So like, cool. It's just a little faster. It's very much like Ether and Converge put together. So I was like, fuck it. I'm taking this song." And then we used it for Ether and it's awesome. Um, and then there's two songs we ended up not recording when we just you know recorded. And I was like, okay, well, one song is going to go to a new project that I'm doing. That's very much in the vein of Cursed. And this other one is going, that sounds like fucking Convergent Disembodied, is gonna go to Memory Never. So we basically just swap songs. There's a riff on the first Ether record that's on the last Memory Never record. It just, it played a little bit differently. It's the same fucking thing. But, you know, I like to do that. There was a riff that was gonna be on both records, but I don't think it's gonna be on that. And whatever's easier to play and sing is gonna go for Ether, because
0: that shit sucks. All right, well, finally, when and who were you deemed Mean Pete? When did you okay. decide to accept this name for yourself? And who gave it okay. to you? Tell me you gave it to yourself.
1: <laughs> no, I wish. Um, I would have had a fucking better name than that shit. Everybody, and I hear the weirdest stories. Like, you were like, oh, you got that name because you're a crazy person. And I heard that you uh, threw a bar stool at someone once and you – cut someone with a bottle in, a, in the neck, I don't know, some shit. And it's like literally none of those things have happened. But when Until the End started, uh, because I was just a kid who played guitar in a metalcore band and had previously sung in a rap metal band, but I was straight edge while that was happening. Nobody knew who I was, I guess, in like the hardcore scene. So the guitar player from Until the End was like, oh, we got to give you a nickname because no one knows who you are. Oh, Mean Pete, there it is. And I'm like, okay, great. And that was it. Literally, that was it. Because Until the End, at the time, was Dudes for Morning Again, Keepsake, who was a big band at the time in South Florida, um, Poison the Well. Um, the guitar player, the original guitar player was in a band called 200 North, who ended up being in Circus Survive. So, a little fun fact. Brendan uh, from Circus Survive used to be in Until the, the End. I'm sure he doesn't put that on his resume because, you know, it's not friendly, but... Um, super cool dude so that's that's sick that he like went on to do like pretty significant awesome shit
0: but why mean pete i mean you could it couldn't have been by accident you had to have been a unpleasant person right no that's
1: it literally because it like kind of flowed off your tongue well i mean i never really said hey call me this you know sometimes i let the joke happen sometimes i don't you know so it kind of depends oh mean pete there it is
0: Thanks so much to Pete for sharing his history of being plagiarized, as well as a full-blown education in South Florida hardcore. And of course, celebrating the album Women and Children Die First, 2004 Ferret slash Roadrunner Records. A very important album for me at the time, and I'm sure a lot of people. And if you want to keep up with what Pete's doing now, follow Ether Coven on Instagram, E-T-H-E-R-C-O-V-E-N. Because they have a new album coming out in 2022, and of course, the band named after his favorite season of American Horror Story, I'm assuming. But I appreciate you hanging out with us and supporting the show on Patreon.com slash And hey, if you want to support the show, not only in your ears, but also on your body, go to meetmeep.bigcartel.com and buy the t-shirt. But in the meantime, my name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye.